0: Hey everyone before we start i wanted to let you know if you would like to watch our whole service head to our website that's dc2.me and from the media drop down click sermons you can watch our whole service there and now here's this week's sermon good morning discovery I don't know um, if you were watching CNN this Monday afternoon, but something really incredible happened this week. Uh, Talking with a couple friends, some of you caught wind of it. Um, Not very many of you saw it, but I'm I'm not gonna give a lot more context. I wanna show you what happened and and just know that if you're watching going, what on earth is going on? We're we're gonna unpack it, but check this out. This happened this Monday. Oh my goodness, look at that. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Looks to me like we're headed straight in. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Eight, seven, six, five, four, three. Awaiting visual confirmation. All right. (laughs) Okay. So if you're watching this and you're like, it's like ten people in a room that looks important freaking out about a giant hairball getting closer to them. Here's here's what happened on Monday back back in 1961. JFK made a promise that we were gonna put a man on the moon. But all around that time, there was conversations about what are we doing in space and with space? How are we supposed to approach that? And it's either the highest form of arrogance or this lovely process as humans that we go, let's go. Like, let's, let's try and figure some things out. In 1980, that was the year, I, couldn't, I thought this was way before this. It wasn't until 1980 that they kind of ratified the, the theory that it was an asteroid that had killed the dinosaurs. That's kind of what did that whole deal that was only in 1980, and, and so for sure before that, but absolutely after that, there was a lot of conversations about what do we do if there's an asteroid that's headed right for our faces, do we just sit here and take it, or is there anything more that we can do? So what you just saw, um, NASA scanned the universe and said, okay, there's two asteroids. They're so far away that even if we botch this thing and we like change its trajectory, there's no way this thing's coming at Earth. Let's go see if we can blow up an asteroid. And so since last November for 12 months essentially they have they've sent this um, this rocket into space right at this asteroid now you can imagine like the sci- like the brain power that goes into this is like taking a BB gun and shooting a shot glass off a moving train right it's an asteroid in space it's millions of miles away we're gonna launch a rocket a year ahead of time and we're gonna hit it and these guys came within like 50 feet of like the exact center of what they want it's just remarkable The other cool thing is that as it got closer in, like you're seeing a moving asteroid in space. It's just so cool. So if you're watching this going, why are these people freaking out? It's because they've been waiting for this moment for so long. Now, I had finished doing some early sermon prep on Monday and was like literally walking out from church to my car and pull up my newsfeed and I see, oh, this is happening right now, so I watch it. And I see what you just saw, where it like gets closer in, and on the right-hand side it says impact. And I'm like, oh, that's all. That's all that's going to happen. Like, what, what? So this is what, um, I, I have a friend who has done some contract work with NASA, and I called him uh, later in the week and just said, hey, is there any footage of like Kaboom? Like, did, did anything, was there, was there any camera that they had nearby? And this is what he sent me, just, just so you have it too. It was awesome. I mean, it was that awesome. But I I loved, as I was thinking about it this week, like it's the perfect, perfect metaphor for the text that we're going to be looking at today. Because it builds, if you understand, like if you have no idea what's going on, you're watching the, the NASA folk down in the corner of the picture going, what are they so excited about? And then when you understand not only what's going on in the moment, but what's been going on for years, all of a sudden you have this appreciation for like, oh, this is a big deal. Not just for them. Actually, the work that they've been doing, that actually affects me. Like they could be saving my life someday. Like this is, that's really cool. So for the first time in human history, we can now blow up asteroids, kind of. Okay, so... (laughs) Uh, today we're looking at a chunk of text, um, that we will probably read the first time through and it'll be like, if you had no context going into the movie, we'll finish reading it and you'll be like, why are people freaking out? Why, why is this such a big deal? And my hope is that by the time we're finished with my time this morning, that there's a sense of like, Wow. I like I appreciate what was going on and it took forever to get to that moment but I also appreciate this has everything to do with me. We're going to be diving in today. We're continuing our series in the book of Matthew. We find ourselves today right on the doorstep of Matthew chapter 21. We're getting close, y'all, to the end. I mean, it's, there's 28 chapters in this book, and we've been going very slowly through the whole thing. And just now, I would say, things are now starting to come together. And you can see it even in our artwork on the side of the room. There's some really cool stuff that's going to be happening in the next seven or eight chapters. So uh, we're going to start in chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 10. Verse um, 10. If you've come to church before, particularly around Easter time, or maybe the Sunday before, Easter's called Palm Sunday, that's the text that we're in today. We're not going to spend as much time in the first few verses. That's, that's Jesus coming into Jerusalem, although that's super important. I just think you've heard that story before, and there's some details that come after that that I just, I think are super fascinating. So we're actually going to start in verse 10. So if you brought your Bible, Matthew 21, verse 10, it'll be up on the screen. As we read this, I want you to be asking yourself this question. There are several things here that, that can, can make you pause and go, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't look right. Grab onto those things, like make mental notes as we go. Let's read. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil asking, who is this? And the crowds are saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. That's an illegitimate place, by the way. That's weird that somebody would come from Nazareth. Then Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did, they heard and heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They became angry and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise for yourself? He left them and he went out of the city to Bethany and he spent the night there. Okay, To catch some things that are weird, this is a weird chunk of story that's going on here. To paint the picture a little bit, I think it's really hard for us as Westerners, not in the Middle East, not from a Jewish culture, to understand everything that's going on. I mean, this is a firework show. So to retell it for our context, I want you to reimagine you're pulling into the parking lot at church here this morning. And if you're watching online, just imagine, um, even the process of getting online went something similar to this. As you're pulling into the parking lot, there's people who um, are sitting in booths and they're taking money. And the more money you give them, there's not necessarily a set cost, but the more money you give, the closer you get to park to the church doors. If you don't have any money, you don't get to park in the parking lot. In order to come into the building, you have to have a ticket to get to the seat that you want. Ticket prices can be jacked up, so there's no way to know exactly how much they're gonna be, but it's gonna cost you just even now to come in. Like, the parking lot was okay, but now if you wanna be in here, that's actually different. You have to pay again. Also, one thing that's so hard for us is you can't just go to a different church down the street. In this context, this is the temple in Jerusalem. This is it. You have to go there. There is no other option. And and, and so the whole system is set up in such a way that if your heart is, I just want to go worship God. That's all that I'm after. The only way for you to be able to do that is to pay fee after fee after ticket after fee and then you can get to a place, a location, where you can now worship God. That's weird, Like that, that should like cause you to be like, that's a strange system. It's really beautiful when it's not messed up. This is messed up, and we're gonna get a little bit more into why. Um, I think to paint in color a little bit more, again, because this is just so foreign and it's really hard to wrap your head around it unless you could see it. Um, I wanna go there someday. I wanna, I wanna see this in the flesh, but the best I can do for us today is just some pictures on screen. So just some reminders. This first picture, since Matthew chapter 17, Jesus was up in Caesarea Philippi. He was in a place, uh, literally the place of pandemonium. Since chapter 17, he has been slowly making his way towards Jerusalem. So just a reminder of that. Now, next slide. We're gonna find him entering to the Mount of Olives, which, just for fun, the Mount of Olives specifically comes up in the Old Testament a handful of times in ways that will blow your mind if you, if you just want a fun homework assignment. We're gonna find him coming in through Bethany, through Bethphage, through the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, just, just to like locate it a little bit in your mind, the Garden of Gethsemane is on one side of a valley. You go down that valley, back up, and boom, you're at the temple, So if you're standing in the Garden of Gethsemane, you are on a hill. If you look east, you are looking right into the temple. Like literally even the doors of the temple open that direction. That's where Jesus is coming from. So now we're going to zoom in on this temple. Give me this next one. Now, the biggest thing, I think, just for context, also because it's football season, this is really fun. In the bottom, the little black square, that's one football field. So just to try and help you wrap your mind around the scale of what's going on here, this structure is enormous. I mean, we're talking like at least 20-ish football fields stacked side by side. I mean, it's just huge. And this is the temple. So you can't just waltz into the temple. I mean, this is where... God's presence is in this place, and there's certain, p- certain types of people, certain types of things that you have to do to go into certain places. And so, if you go in through this door, you're going to find yourself in the court of the Gentiles, is what it was called. And essentially, and this is so cool, like since the Old Testament, there has always been a place for people who were not Jewish, which for us, you might be like, yeah, because God loves everybody. That's like That should pause the whole show and and make you rethink, like everybody has always been included in this story. They even have a physical place in the temple. That's remarkable. So as we're reading into our story today, it's really going to be in this temple where we're going to find Jesus coming. This would be where um, all of these money changers, the lenders, these people selling animals, this is where they're going to be. We're going to get into that a little bit more in just a second. So from there, now you can get into the actual temple structure itself. That's the center one. And give me that next slide. So now again, oh, I cut off the football field. This is still multiple football fields. I mean, it's huge. And so now you you have the Gentile courtyard on the outside. You can come in through the gate called Beautiful, which that'll show up in Scripture a couple times. And now you're in the women's courtyard. That's really cool. Women have always had a place in this story. And then from there, you can enter in through the gate of Nicanor, and that puts you in the courtyard of the priests. So one thing for us that I think is so important is that like, we can read like, and Jesus went into the temple, and we're like, okay, cool, so he showed up for church. When you, when you can understand and wrap your head around, okay, no, that's where he's at. And there's certain places where certain people can go at certain times to do certain things. I just, I want you to appreciate the scale and the allowance of who's included, Right? You can't just go anywhere you want. Only certain people can be in certain places, period. So, that's what's going on. Um, Now, uh, we're gonna get into some more of the details in a second, but one thing, um, it's just so fun. Matthew is a Jewish writer. He's writing to Jewish people, and he's using Jewish text all the time. And for now, the whole rest of the book of Matthew, like he's, it's like watching a fireworks show. Like It's been real good so far. And now all of a sudden, here comes the grand finale and it's just pop, 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 pop. Like it's just, it's gonna go haywire. He's gonna camp out in, in Isaiah chapter 56. There are things that he, he is gonna say, look, as you're watching Jesus come into the temple, this is what I have in mind. And this is not just something I made up. This is something that Jesus, like he is so involved in this process. So you remember NASA? Like, you remember watching that and being like, why why are they freaking out so much? And then appreciating, oh, it's because they've been waiting on this for so long. I'm gonna read a chunk of text to you out of Isaiah 56, and I'm gonna tell you how long before Jesus it was written. Check this out. Isaiah 56, we're gonna start in verse six. And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. All who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. The holy mountain is Jerusalem. Like there's, there's so much here that you're going, okay, this is, this is aligning. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. Jesus actually said that. This will be called the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Okay, if you're reading this and if you're Jewish, you're going, okay, foreigners are going into where the altar is and their offerings are acceptable. Seemingly, they're breaking the rules of what's going on. But we'll keep reading. For my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's what Jesus says. Now, this is, this is what's really cool. Jesus had said before, my house will be called a house of prayer. In Isaiah, he's stealing that exact phrase, Jesus. If you look at that whole phrase in the book of Isaiah, my house will be called a house of prayer for all people. And to us, that's like, what's the big deal? If you're Jewish, you're Jewish. The temple is not for all people. And in this moment, in Isaiah, it's being widened. And then it finishes in verse eight. Thus says the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. This is written 700 years before Jesus. So if you're an original reader or if you're watching this scene take place, your mind is exploding. Going, We've been waiting for this moment for 700 years. And for the first time, there are people who don't belong who are being welcomed into places so that they can worship God. Remarkable. It's, it's so cool. And this, this isn't just like, oh, we're just like pointing to different pieces of scripture like this randomly connects. Jesus is citing Isaiah 56. It's all intentional. It's thick with language of incorporating the foreigners, especially the illegitimate. And it goes on. Uh, there's one other place I wanted to look. And I just, I think these are so important for us to understand. Jeremiah 7 I'll tell you how long before Jesus this one was written to once we get to the end. And it says this. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house. Stand at the temple in the gates and proclaim there his word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, you that entered these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings and let me dwell with you in this place. You can pause just in the book of Isaiah and go, amend what? What do we need to change? And then he's going to tell us. Do not trust the deceptive words, this is the temple of the Lord, this is the temple of the Lord, this is the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly, and then here we go, act justly with one another. If you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, Then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever. Here you are, trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known and then come to stand before me in this house which is called by my name and which we say we are safe, only to go on doing all of these abominations? Has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers? In your sight, you know I too am watching," says the Lord. And Jesus, when he when he's flipping these money tables, he's going, "This is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers." Jesus is pointing at these two scriptures, and in context, what we see here in Jeremiah, written three hundred years before Jesus shows up on scene, we've been waiting for this moment for so long. He says, Look, you've, you've been oppressing the aliens and the orphans and the widows. You have been taxing the people who need this place the most. Like you're making it so hard for them. That is wrong. And it has been wrong for 300 years. You are making this place a den of robbers. That's what's in Jesus' mind as he's reading through all of this. So there's so many things as we read through now in Matthew 21, we're going, that's weird. That doesn't belong. That doesn't sound right. I I would offer to you the thing that should blow our minds the absolute most is right there in verse 14. Matthew 21, verse 14, I think is the strangest verse in the entire chunk of Matthew 21. And it's the verse, and it's just like one sentence, it's almost like Matthew just kinda tossed it in there for giggles. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. Okay, here's why that's weird. (laughs) You're not allowed to go into the temple if you're blind and lame, which to us may sound like super messed up. Like, that almost sounds like the whole system that God made is automatically stacking the deck against the most oppressed people. But there's some things that we need to understand. If you can't see the things that you're supposed to do, I mean, to be in the temple, there were, there were things that you did, like, and very practical, tactile. You had to do them a very certain way. Wash your hair a certain amount of times. Places where you would put blood or put water, like, it was all very technical, if you couldn't see how to do that, you were at risk. And there's some guys, Nadab and Abihu in the book of Numbers, they just kind of are screwing around. They can, they can see they're not lame, but they, they don't pay attention and they're just, they die. Like God, God kills them. To be in the presence of God and to not be able to take things seriously or to not do things the right way is a big deal. And so the way that this was internalized is, well, then you just, you just can't come into the temple. Like, it's just not going to go well for you. If you can't hear, then you can't hear the things that you're supposed to do. So now you can't come in the temple. And it's all done. I want I want you to see in the story and in the history of how this has all come to pass, this was not done in a way that was intentionally trying to exclude people. At its onset, this was done in a way to try and protect people. But then it got messed up. Because right around the time of Jesus, uh, a little bit after, was a group of people called the Qumran community. And this is a group of folks who loved the Bible. But their whole thing was, we just don't think that God's presence is in the temple anymore. We think it's now in communities of people. We actually think he's in our community. Because of that, if you're blind, or if you're deaf, or if you're lame, you cannot be a part of our community. Because God's presence is here, and you're not allowed. What? That's, that's weird. Like hopefully that hits your ears as weird too. Hopefully that starts to set up a little bit of the idea of why Matthew 21, 14 is so strange. Because Jesus is going in the temple, he's turning over tables, and who's hot in tow with him? The blind and the lame. One sentence that blows open so many questions of what's going on here. And then, if we can dial it back to Isaiah 56, and we go, well, what what is Isaiah 6 really passionate about? Well, it's passionate about the temple being a place for all people to be able to come and worship. That's really interesting. But Jesus also pairs it with Jeremiah 7. Why is that such a big deal? Well, because in Jeremiah 7, he's saying, don't oppress the oppressed, don't make it harder for them to be in the temple. And now we have Jesus going, let me show you how it's done. Just some other things that I think are, are really cool with this, well, here's, here's the basic idea. Since Matthew chapter 17, Jesus has been walking down to Jerusalem. As he walks down to Jerusalem, he goes straight into the temple. Who's with him? Like If you just think about the story and just think practically about stuff, and if you think about what's going on in Jeremiah seven and Isaiah 56, And just logistically, it's about a six-day walk. There's people from Caesarea Philippi that are in tow with him. There's people from every village that's been on their path coming down that they're in tow. There is a crowd of people. And when they get to Jerusalem, there's a whole other crowd of people. And now those people are in tow. Jesus has not been healing blind and lame and deaf people in Jerusalem. So now this whole group of people, all these illegitimate outcast people, are the people that Jesus has, and he is leading the parade, going, we're going right into the temple of God. Whoa, like this is, this is, he's like picking a fight, maybe. There's some other practical things that we need to be aware of, because I think if we're looking at that, there, there could be a sense of like, oh yeah, because the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore. Like Jesus is doing something new, which I would say to you, if that's how you look at a story like this, that is, that is a poor way of looking at this story, to go into the temple, here's what's going on. The, all these folks who are selling, it specifically says doves. Do you know who bought doves to go sacrifice those in the temple? The poorest people bought doves. That was the cheapest sacrifice that you could buy. And they're like up charging for doves. Jesus throws over those tables. Because the most poor and the most oppressed, they deserve a spot. But they still have to have an offering they still have to bring something in. And for the blind who can't see and don't know the technicalities of what to do, and for the deaf who can't hear all the things what to do, for the lame who physically can't go, they need a high priest, somebody who can go in and say, I will do this all for you. Stay here and I'll take care of it. And in this moment, as Jesus is leading this parade into the temple, it's this fireworks display of Jesus going, look, y'all, you're messed up. You're gonna need an offering albeit And actually all y'all once we get in there you're not going to be able to like do anything cuz you don't know the right moves you've never even been in there before but if you want to worship the Lord you're going to need a priest somebody who can do all the things for you albeit because you can't have people in the temple that aren't supposed to be there The only solution, well, two solutions. You can either kick them out. The solution is how can we make it so that they can be there? And Jesus looks at that and he says, what we're gonna do is we're gonna cleanse everybody. I will be their sacrifice. I will be their priest. I will make it so they can legitimately be in this space. I will look at Isaiah 56. I will look at Jeremiah 7. We will align all Old Testament things in this moment. Look what I'm doing. And then, as if that's not enough, there's one other just, oh, it's so fun, one other thing that's going on above all of these details, and it's this. In the triumphal entry, when Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem, there's also, there's a couple different Old Testament passages that get tossed around, but one of them is Isaiah 62. So we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at a story that Jesus tells, and then we're going to be done for the day because I I just think this is such mind-blowing stuff. This This will be enough, it may be too much. We're gonna look at Isaiah 62, just at the very beginning of it. And this is quoted as Jesus is walking into Jerusalem, and it says this. For Zion's sake, for Israel, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nation shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Okay, now pay attention to the language. What's the scene that's being set here? You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate but you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. When the people are singing as Jesus is walking in to Jerusalem, they sing this song. Behold, your king has come. It's words that are taken exactly from Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62 if you caught it, is a story about a wedding. It's a story about a groom coming to meet his bride that it's, it seems almost like a person and a, a land are being married, which is weird. <laughs> but I think if you, if you would know the context, it is talking about a person and it is talking about a people and a land. That's the wedding that's happening. And I think as Jesus on our map is coming in through Bethphage, through Bethany, on the Mount of Olives, I think he gets to that valley and he looks over all of Jerusalem and he looks at the temple and he goes, I am the groom that has arrived for my bride. Since Isaiah 62, for 700 years, we have been waiting for this moment. And I'm here. And he walks down the valley and he walks into the temple and there's people that are oppressing the most vulnerable, and there's people who are making it hard for God's people to come and be with him. It's, it's exactly as if there is a marriage that's happening, and there are people that are getting in the way of the groom being with his bride, and the groom is like, I am having none of this. Bar room brawl. Like, let's go. Sleeves up. Like, you're not going to keep me away from my bride. I, I've worked too hard to get here. I've waited 700 years for this moment. Get out of my way. And sometimes this, this text gets ripped around of like, Jesus is mad. I, I, I don't know all the things that are going on. One thing I can tell you, thank you Isaiah 62, is that Jesus is looking at his bride and he's looking at these people. He's looking at the marginalized and the oppressed and everybody who's in tow. He's going, this is where I belong. These are people that I love. If you're gonna get in my way, move. He's motivated by love, not by anger in this moment. And he just goes right in for the jugular. And I, I just, I know that this is on his mind because in just a few verses, he's gonna tell this story. And we're just gonna bump up to Matthew chapter 22, verse one. And this is, it's just a story. It's another one of these parables that Jesus loved to tell. But now with all of this background and with everything that was supposed to be going on in that moment, hear this story from a totally different angle. Matthew 22, verse one. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. And then he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, look, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it, and they went away, went to his farm another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, maltreated them, killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and he burned their city. That is stark. This is like a violent story that Jesus is telling. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out to the streets and they gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. Okay, let's just pause there for a second. If you're gonna throw a party, if you're gonna throw like a wedding and none of the guests show up and you're like, go down main street and just grab whoever good or bad. You got everyone coming to this party. Prostitutes, sick people, beggars, Normal Joes, people who are on their commute, everyone is there, which sounds a little bit like Isaiah 56 when God is saying, my house will be a place where everyone is invited. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed that there was a man who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. And then the king said to his attendants, "'Bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness, "'where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, "'for many are called, but few are chosen.'" The end. <laughs> Whoa, weird story, Jesus. What are you doing? And, and I think, again, all this context, all this deep work that we've been doing so far this morning helps us go, okay, I can appreciate this story that Jesus is telling, he's a groom. He stood on the hill at the garden of Gethsemane. He's looked at his bride as he's gone. People have gotten in the way. But now that the wedding is happening, he's saying, call everyone, invite everyone. Where are the wedding guests? In this moment, the folks who should have been the wedding guests, if you want to read all through the parts of chapter 21 that we didn't read this morning, it's all about the Pharisees. And the Pharisees saying, who the heck do you think you are? Well, you, you don't belong here. <laughs> like, get, get out of town. We're going to look for ways to get you kicked out. We're actually going to start looking for ways to kill you. Just is going, look, the folks who were supposed to be invited, you were in the initial invite list. You didn't even show up. <laughs> like, the groom came to his bride, and you're like ticked off at the groom. It's messed up. So he kicks them out, and now I think this is where it, this becomes such a fun story because now we're in the story None of you, I don't think, are Pharisees. But a lot of you are messed up Gentile folks like me. This is where we come in. Jesus said, so, so this king, he sends out and he invites everybody in the streets. doesn't matter who you are, you get invited to this party. And there's some debate about what the context of this would look like, but the whole thing with the guy with the robe. He is not wearing the right robe. A lot of parties, especially if they were given by really wealthy families, they would hand you a wedding robe. They'd have clothes, matching outfits for weddings. That sounds fun. If you're planning a wedding, matching outfits for everyone. Sailors, we're all going to dress like sailors. But <laughs> as they're coming in, that, that's one way of looking at it. I don't know if that's the particular story that Jesus is telling. One thing that I know we can all agree on is if you get invited to a wedding, you're going to like... You're gonna show up for a wet. Like you're gonna dress nicely. It's a big occasion, and as Jesus is weaving this story, he's going. The, the king. He looks around and he spots a guy who's like just shabbily dressed. And it's almost like Jesus is going. Okay, I told one story for the Pharisees. They got invited, but they didn't show up. That's that stinks. That's not how it was supposed to go. For all the rest of you who just got invited, everybody who's been in the parade since Caesarea Philippi, if you just jumped in line, you're blind and lame, and now we're in the temple, if you've experienced these moments before, I want you to hear a warning. If you show up and just think, I can just kind of sloppily go along here, you are going to be kicked out. Those are hard words to hear. And I think it should put us in a posture of going out like, How do I not end up in that position? I do not want to be thrown into a a heap of gnashing teeth. That sounds terrible. What needs to happen? And I think you would find, and we we find here, that Jesus is just grinning back, going, well, it's pretty simple. Did you read Isaiah 56? Because I talked about that when we were doing this whole thing. And and did you read Jeremiah? Because that was a big deal, too. Do you hear my heart? in all of this? Do you know why I flipped over the money tables? I'm a groom that's come for my bride. And my bride, when I find her, ought to be about the business of caring for the alien and the orphan and the widow. That was Jeremiah's wording. Jesus is going, my bride ought to be caring for the lame and the blind. That's what she does. That's how you dress if you're gonna be a part of this wedding. And if you show up, and if that has not been a priority for you, if that has not been a part of your lifestyle and the heart that you live out of in the world around, you are shabbily dressed. And while you may have found yourself at the wedding, many are called, but few are chosen. Where is your heart? Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus and you, in a moment like NASA, where at an initial read, you might be like, why is everybody freaking out? And the more you understand about it, you're going, oh my, this is huge. I'm gonna bring out the band. But just a reminder for you, regardless of how well you know your Old Testament or 700 years or 300, it doesn't matter. We have all been waiting for this moment This moment where we meet the person who will tell us what is the meaning of life? What is the point of all this? What am I supposed to do? And I think we're finding here that we've been invited all along for at least 700 years. Way before that, there's always been a place for you in this story. Do you honor, give tribute? You trust in his name? Do you work under his credentials? Do you celebrate the fact that you are among the blind and the lame and the foreigners who are invited into a holy place where you can worship freely and directly only because of what Jesus has done for you? And to flip it, are you somebody who invites the other blind and lame and foreign folks to do the same? Do you make it easy for them? And not making it harder, is not the same as making it easy. To stand by and not get in the way is not the same as rolling up your sleeves and getting involved. If one thing that keeps you from going to church uh, or becoming a Christian has always been that when you see religious people, you go, "They're just fake. And you see that over and over again. Take comfort. God agrees with you. He doesn't put up with that. That is a holy thing that you see and perceive. But just because there are fakers, it doesn't mean that the real thing isn't out there. And it doesn't mean that it's not out there for you. You're included in this story and you always have been. Will you be healed? Will you partner with him in the healing of others? Will you welcome and invite and take it all seriously? Final thing I just found myself thinking about this week was this phrase. My blank doesn't make sense without caring for the outcast. How would you fill that in? My faith doesn't make sense without caring for the outcast. My spiritual life. My time doesn't make sense without caring for the outcast my finances don't make sense without caring for the outcast. My family doesn't make sense if we're not caring for the outcast. My business doesn't make sense if there's not some way I can't find to benefit the outcast. My life doesn't make sense. My Jesus does not make sense without caring for the outcast. This is a beautiful story. You have been invited into a holy place that's messed up, as dressed as you are with whatever maladies and internal issues, wherever you came from, it doesn't matter what you've done or what's been done to you. You have an offering and a priest who's saying, if you want to worship God, follow me. We're going to take some time for those who are able. If you want to stand and worship this guy together, let's do it.